This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, September 16th, 2022. I'm Matthew Moore. With me in the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2 in person It's Michael Tilly from Talk Business and Politics. Michael, thanks for making the drive up. Well, I, it's uh, always nice to be here in person. It seems to, I think, uh, go better. It's, it's a better experience. Maybe it is for the listeners also. Well, it it is for me too, absolutely. Uh, Michael, we're going to start by talking about the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals has made a ruling deciding that the city of Fort Smith does in fact have to make repairs on their city sewer systems. Yeah, for a for a portion um, of the system, just to bring us up to speed, you know, several years ago, the after many years of not doing the right thing in terms of keeping its uh, primary its, primarily the sanitary sewer system upgraded, the Department of Justice and the, and the EPA Environmental Protection uh, Agency stepped in and put the city under a consent decree. It was initially for a little over $400 million consent decree that has since inflated up to $650 million. I suspect it will be higher when all is said and done. The city had appealed um, or had sought essentially an amendment to the consent decree asking to not have to repair immediately all the grade four and five lines. There's a grade one through five. Obviously, the grade four and five lines aren't, you know, in – such dire need of repair. And so they had hoped to receive some relief on that. Um, U.S. District Court Judge P.K. Holmes III ruled that said, no, uh, there is no opportunity for amendment under the consent decree. you got to fix them all. And so the city took that appeal to the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, and the circuit court ruled Wednesday, September 14th, that no, Judge Holmes was correct. You've got to fix them all. And so where that, that has an impact in a couple of areas. One, the city estimates that's going to imme- more immediately cost around 100 to $150 million. There's been some reporting that, that's added, that, that the ruling has added that cost to the overall cost. That's, I don't think that's the case. That, that work was going to have to be done anyway. What the city was wanting was a delay on that work. Now that the court uh, and the appeals court have, have definitively said – no, you don't get a delay. That just means the city's going to have to find that money and do that work uh, quicker. As LaVon Morton, the city director, said, we've got. The, he essentially said, okay, we've got the ruling under our belt. I think the quote was, uh, the time has come to move as fast as we can to get the work on the consent decree completed. So there are other efforts underway by the city. I think the city has made an appeal to the EPA and DOJ for some extra time because of flooding back in 2009, which right. caused some damage, uh, the pandemic, which caused some delays, and especially in terms of just having people available and supplies right. for fixing some of the items. So that's the one of the other things that's still pending in terms of any relief for the city, but um, they're not getting any relief on fixing these um, sewer lines uh, any at any level. They're not getting any relief. On right. Fixing them. You know, if if you've been watching the news at all in the last couple of weeks, it's been hard not to see what's happening in Jackson, Mississippi, with the water system there. Is there any comparison at all when we look at what's happening in Jackson and we're looking at the lack of infrastructure work in Fort Smith? Is there any sort of parallels there? I, I don't think there is. I've been asked that, and it's a good question. The city did a horrible job historically over the decades, and it's not really the existing folks. It's they, it's not that they did anything wrong. It's right. just that over decades, the city wasn't doing the right thing, and often in some 
poorer neighborhoods in term, and primarily the sewer system. Now, the city of Fort Smith, especially through citizen support, passed, I think you, uh, well, you may not, but several years ago or a couple of decades ago, really, taxed themselves to expand Lake Fort Smith. Mm-hmm. The city of Fort Smith has a capable water supply, more than adequate water supply. And, and when I say more than adequate, not just for now, but for the future. So I, there is no comparison to Fort Smith and Jackson yeah. in terms of water. The, the water's, uh, uh, Fort Smith has done the right thing by water in terms of water supply. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear. Switching gears a little bit here, we have the latest version of the Arkansas Tourism Ticker. Y'all put this out six times a year. What are we seeing new in the ticker this time around? Well, um, fortunately, we're not seeing anything new. What we're seeing is a continued uh, broad recovery in the Arkansas tourism Mm. sector. Uh, We look at, we use the ticker, and we've been doing this now for several years. We look at the state's 2% tourism tax, we survey 17 cities around the state to see what their hospitality tax revenue is, and we look at the jobs uh, in the tourism industry. And for the January to June period, uh, there's a 17.5% uh, increase in the hospitality revenue among the 17 cities, a 24% increase in the state's 2% tourism tax, and an almost 10% increase in the job in, in the average uh, excuse me, the monthly average of tourism jobs. So healthy increases across the board. I mean, these, Matthew, these increases are up against what were pretty healthy gains uh, last year as, the, as that tourism industry started to, recovery, uh, to recover. One interesting note, um, the 2% tourism tax, uh, it is on a 16-month consecutive record pace wow. for setting new records. So uh, I, I've never seen – in all my years of following, I have not seen that. So good news for a tourism industry, which was arguably, and I would say probably was, the hardest hit uh, economic sector, not just in Arkansas but around the country. Um, and by tourism, I'm talking primarily uh, hotels and restaurants uh, and that kind of thing. So right. it's good to see it's continuing to recovery to recover. I think the pace – a recovery is moderating some, but that's because it's uh, was up against such good gains last year. Is this sustainable? Well, that's a you know, <laughs> I've had that conversation with several folks. You know, the optimist will say yes. One of the thing that things that drive the optimism is Arkansas is known for a lot of its natural, its outdoor tourism, and so what what from what I'm being told, what we're seeing is there was a lot of pent up demand in the key areas that Arkansas targets for tourism. Texas, Missouri, Illinois, Tennessee, Louisiana, those folks, when you've been pent up through a pandemic, yeah. you want to get the hell out and go do right. something. So right. Arkansas is kind of in the center uh, of the country and has a lot of good outdoor tourism assets. So I don't think it's sustainable at you know 24% and 17.5% sure. levels, <laughs> but I think it will continue to show healthy gains for some time because I think... People changed. They wanted experience. They decided they wanted experiences instead of things. Right. And Arkansas can deliver experiences when it comes to tourism. Yeah, absolutely. They should put you on the board. <laughs> no, that's all right. I got plenty to do. <laughs> um, I, I have in my hand here, we'll do the radio trick. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, we have a physical version of the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal with your story on the front here about the shifting sentiment of recreational marijuana use here in the state. 
Yeah, I think we obviously have seen a shift in the last several years. You know, medical marijuana was approved, and not by a little bit. It was a healthy uh, margin. Right. And, of course, now if there's a favorable favorable ruling from the Arkansas Supreme Court, there will be a recreational use, what's called adult use by some folks, um, that would fully legalize marijuana. So I wanted to talk to a dispensary. Somebody runs a dispensary and somebody runs a cultivation center. To see what and it, these are folks who run medical marijuana, yeah, medical marijuana, okay. yeah, facilities. So what what it would mean to them if you expanded it? And to cut to the chase, there are some estimates that it could grow uh, revenue by eight times. So let's moderate back to some from what I talked to some folks. You know, three, four, five times maybe moderation. Well, if that's the case, right now Arkansas medical marijuana sales are around two hundred sixty two hundred sixty five million dollars. So. We're talking a billion-dollar industry. Mm. Just in Arkansas. Just in Arkansas for, for, for full marijuana sales. And so what that can mean, for example, River Valley Relief in Fort Smith could add up to 150 jobs. Greenlight Dispensary, based out of Kansas City, they have uh, four dispensaries in Arkansas. They could add up to 100 jobs. Those are just two yeah. examples of what will be 50 to 60 to 70 dispensaries and cultivators in Arkansas. So... We're talking a tremendous economic impact, and, and I'm not going to go off into the s- social debate, the, the health debates. The folks who are against marijuana use will, will have plenty of say on that through the television ads. But just from an economic standpoint, it will be a big uh, grow. It, it will pr- provide a lot of investment, a lot of new jobs in Arkansas. And one other thing that I hadn't thought of, is John Mueller, he owns uh, the Greenlot Dispensary. <clears throat> Their estimate is there's around $800 million in illegal or black market marijuana sales. And his point was if you pass recreational marijuana use, and the proposal is written where it will be highly regulated, he said you will create a safer environment because you will have a regulated product, right. a tested product, and you'll know the potency. So you're, you as a consumer will know – it's What's to in your this, advantage? Where it's from? Yeah, it's not laced with anything, so uh, it's it's a much more preferable system. Look, I think we all know people are going to smoke marijuana, right? And so why not regulate it, tax it, and get the benefit from it? So uh, we also lay out, you know, some opposing comment from Governor Hutchinson and the um, Family Council. But um, polling, uh, Matthew, polling suggests that if this makes the ballot. Um, it, it will it will be approved by Arkansas voters. You can find Michael Tilley's writing in the digital form on talkbusiness.net. Michael, thanks for joining me this afternoon. Hey, it's my pleasure. Appreciate you having us. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. KUAF is supported by Dr. Kathleen Wong, a psychiatrist providing infusion therapy for treatment of depression and anxiety disorders. Following NIMH protocol, infusion therapy is an effective alternative when other treatments fail. Dr. Kathleen Wong, WebMD, for more information. Chef Aaron Rowe guides Ozark Culinary Tours and is the author of the richly illustrated Ozark Culinary History, Northwest Arkansas Traditions from Corn Dodgers to Squirrel Loaf. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich spent part of an afternoon with the chef and brings us this story. 
Erin Rowe opens a jar of homemade sweet tea, which she pours out into two mugs to share. Like any sweet tea, you know, you've got to have sugar. That's what makes it so delicious. Tea in hand, Rowe, who turned 40 in May, says she was born in Kansas, but her family settled in Salem Springs when she was just five years old. So for me, growing up in the Ozarks, since I was a kid, I consider myself a true Ozarks native. You know, I mean, I know I wasn't born here, but this is all that I know. She spent a lot of time outdoors exploring the woods, she says, but indoors she gravitated to the kitchen to watch her mother prepare home-cooked meals. And then I started cooking. Every night when my mom would go to bed, I would sneak into the kitchen and cook and clean it up before she woke up again. So... It was kind of this rebellion that I had, but not not in a bad way. You know, a lot of kids sneak out to go to parties when they're in high school. I snuck into the kitchen to cook, and I learned that it was a creative exercise where I could actually create results. And as a young woman, Ro cooked her way through the joy of cooking. Later enrolling in cooking school, Maui Culinary Academy, but rather than stay in the Hawaiian Islands, she chose to come home. I love this area because it's made out of hardworking people that are entrepreneurial and just independent in vision that don't give up. That's really what makes Northwest Arkansas its unique pocket unto itself. And that's one of the reasons that I loved growing growing up here. Ultimately, leading me to uh, write a book, that was something that happened while I worked at the Peel Mansion in Historic Preservation. One day, a visitor from Arcadia Publishing, based in South Carolina, stopped by the museum to market some books. Roe requested a book on local food history. But when she discovered the publisher, who specializes in local and regional histories, didn't list such a book. I pitched the idea. They bought it hook, line, and sinker, and then I began the contracted work of writing it. She authored a culinary history of the Ozarks, sourcing historical records and Ozark natives. From there, I would finish an interview with maybe a glass of moonshine or sweet tea or both. And then when we would finish the interview, I would ask them, who would you recommend I talk to next? And based upon their recommendation, I would move on to the next place. Sometimes I would be randomly driving through places like the Cane Hill Harvest Festival or pass a grape, uh, you know, grapes being sold on the side of the road in Tawnytown and meet fifth generation settlers that I later went on to pick Tawnytown grapes at dawn with. You know, so sometimes I would just put myself in almost an ethnographic field reporter position where I was on the, I was in the field and I was trying to get my hands dirty to get the story. Ozark culinary history from corn dodgers to squirrel meatloaf is filled with passionate anecdotes, black and white and color vintage photographs, plus more than 50 bona fide Ozark recipes readers can prepare from ash cake to venison sausage. Mm. There were so many things that were really compelling and interesting. One of the most compelling people I met was Carolyn Lotta, and she was um, at the Cane Hill Harvest Festival stirring a pot of lye with hominy inside while she was making hominy. Hominy is whole kernel dried field corn soaked in lime juice or lye. That's a wood ash solution to loosen the hulls and plump the inner kernels. Dried corn or maize is a prehistoric indigenous staple consumed by early Ozark pioneers because it's safely kept through winter. 
I asked her what she was making, and she told me, and she said, I have to can all of this later, but my back just recently went out. I don't really have the strength to lift up the canner and put it on the off the stove and such. And I said, well, I can help you. And she said, well, I don't know you, but okay, I'm willing to accept free help. And one day, really hot day in August, when I went over there, she had lost her air conditioning, and we canned 40 jars of hominy in this hot kitchen when we needed more mason jars. We walked across the street, Jackie, a dirt road on a family homestead to a dugout cellar. And it felt like going back to the 1920s and literally wooden, like wooden shelves stuck into the dirt, grabbing the cans of mason, the mason jars and cleaning them and then canning that hominy. That was one of the most exp- interesting experiences to me that people still live off the land and it still is sustainable. It still could be done. It takes a lot of hard work, but her family was doing it. Roe writes how the first Ozark pioneers hunted wild turkey, deer, possum, and feral hogs to survive, picking berries, wild greens, and herbs, following indigenous tribal subsistence practices. Later, Ozark settlers had to become adept agriculturalists to survive, raising livestock, field crops, grapevines, and fruit orchards, including apple cultivars adapted to Ozark climate, Generations of apple cultivation later yielded a thriving apple industry in northwest Arkansas with as many as 3 million bushels of apples annually exported by rail across the country. Today, only the heirloom Van Zandt fruit farms in Lowell remains in business, although new orchards are beginning to bloom on the landscape. So I just opened a a homemade canned preserved jar of apple relish, which to me gives tribute to Arkansas's past as an apple industry capital of the U- of the U.S. has little spice in there. It's very similar to chow chow. It's kind of like a chutney or something like that that's been cooked down and then preserved. So this is something that could last year round. It's great on pulled pork or um, maybe even like a chicken dish would be wonderful. So we'll have to give it a try. Like her relish, Rose Book is the perfect blend of sweet, salt, and sour. She traces back to prehistoric times, detailing how the state's name originates with the Kanza, or Kaw people, the Ozark Mountains later occupied by Osage in the 16th century, among dozens of tribes later brutally subjugated under the U.S. Indian Removal Act of 1830 to make way for white settlers. Roe writes how an amalgam of cultures yielded 19th and early 20th century Ozark foodways organized by chapter. Corn has to be first because it has so many different forms. And then we have canning and pickling, which was what such an established tradition and still is in the Ozarks. Wild Things would cover, which is the fourth chapter, covers anything from uh, trout to rabbit to wild morels that you might find in the woods or possum grapes. The Vineyards covers the recent uh, revolution of a wine-growing region like Altus in Arkansas. Poultry Capital, which is the sixth chapter, is really about the more recent chicken industry. A lot of us feel like this has been around forever, but historically, apple orchards used to be under all of these chicken farms. And then Game and Fish is a very important chapter because it is the almost the crux of Ozark cuisine, as I did my research, discovering that most of our pictures, black and whites, in all the libraries were of people hunting and fishing. And then Apples gets its own chapter, which it has a really strong historical record that a lot of people don't know about. 
And then pies and sweets would be anything from hand-pulled molasses taffy to vinegar pie during the Great Depression. The last chapter con condenses all of these things into what is the future of Ozark cuisine? How do we preserve it? How do we save it? And then also what current farmers markets and you know different like sustainable agriculture is doing to keep that alive. She opens a cracked wild pecan gleaned from a local tree last summer. It still tastes fresh. And they have a really great flavor, very sweet. I think we have a lot of history of nut trees here in the Ozarks, particularly the Arkansas black walnut. Like a growing number of chefs, Roe advocates purchasing and consuming locally grown foods. If we don't celebrate eating local, and not just local, but hyper-seasonal local, then we can't celebrate the element of what it is to have sustainable agriculture. Circa 2020, Roe was nominated Arkansas Proprietor of the Year in the Arkansas Food Hall of Fame, which she attributes to her entrepreneurial ventures. I run a lot of different businesses under the food umbrella from the book that I wrote, with doing lectures and talks from it, to Ozark Culinary Tours, my walking food tour company. I do restaurant consulting. I'm kind of a nicer version of Gordon Ramsay. I go in and fix problems. And I also do um, chef work, you know, cooking, catering, that sort of thing, and private dinners, things like that. So I, I feel very honored that someone has noticed the work that I do. Ultimately, I want to promote the Ozarks and celebrate Northwest Arkansas and its people that make it great. Rose, Ozark Culinary Tours are a celebration. And they celebrate the current chefs. It's not got to be all biscuits and gravy and fried chicken at every stop, but we do four food stops in two and a half hours. And these are great little ways to get to know the area with me as your guide. I'll tell you all about the arts, history, and culture of the area, introduce you to chefs and off-menu items. Sometimes we get to go back in the kitchen. A lot of times, though, you, what you're going to get is to getting to try four different restaurants in two and a half hours and getting to know your sense of place. Whether you're a tourist or a local, it doesn't matter. Roe writes, restless descendants of immigrants in America in a ceaseless search for opportunity, it seems, ought to settle, live mindfully in place, and eat in ways that are beyond sustainable, leaving places healthier and more diverse for future generations. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. Support for KUAF comes from the Walmart Museum, open Monday through Saturday, 10 to 8, and noon to 6 on Sunday on the Square in Bentonville. WalmartMuseum.com for more information. It is Friday, September 16th, 2022, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Timothy Dennis, and joining me inside the Herald and Blanche Kalk News Studio is Becca Martin-Brown. She's the Features Editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Welcome, Becca. And I'm cheating on Kyle. It's okay. It's okay. He's gone. He is missed, but we can cheat on him. We can cheat on him. So since he's not here to keep me on the straight and narrow, mm -hmm. I'm going to be really selfish and talk about my favorite topic other than basketball. I'm guessing that's theater. Good guess. Yeah, yeah. Because we have a wealth of theater coming up. 
opening tonight at Arkansas Public Theater in Rogers is one of my favorite classic musicals, The Music Man. Oh, fun. If you haven't had a chance to fall in love with The Music Man, if you've been like, oh, yeah, that's passe, (laughs) you really need to go see the show. It's so lively and it's so fun. You know the actor playing The Music Man, Cody Robinson, who's done a bunch of musical leads, and what's most recently Shakespeare and Something Rotten. Okay. But you don't know Marion. Marion is new to Arkansas Public Theater. Her name is Anna Ashwell, and when she opens her mouth, angels sing. Mm. Amazing. And there's everybody else you love. Brendan Emick is Eulalie McKechnie Shin, who is the best character in the whole show. And her real-life husband is playing Mayor Shin, It's just going to be so much fun, and they've worked so hard on it. It starts tonight at 8 o'clock, 8 o'clock tomorrow night, 2 o'clock Sunday, and then the next two weekends at Arkansas Public Theater in lovely downtown Rogers. And tickets start at $25 at ArkansasPublicTheater.org. Then at Fort Smith Little Theater opening the next weekend, Philadelphia Story. Okay. Another classic. So that was Cary Grant, right? That was Cary Grant. Well done. Who was the actress? Uh, Catherine Hepburn. Well done. You're a font of information <laughs> like Kyle is. I can't remember what day we're in. <laughs> it was also Jimmy Stewart. Yes, yes. There's a fun story about this one. The director is Tina Dale, who was one of our journalism colleagues for many years right. at the Fort Smith paper. And she used to watch old movies with her dad. So she gets to direct this as kind of a tribute to her dad. And then Grace Andrews is playing the leading role, the society divorcee, Tracy Lord. And she started her acting career with the Young Actors Guild in Fort Smith. Oh, wow. And went off to the big city and ended up doing a lot of casting work, I think, hmm. but did acting on TV and on stage and has moved back to Fort Smith. And this is her first show back. Oh, well, fantastic. So how fun is that? That's great. And Fort Smith Little Theater always puts on a great show regardless. They do. And this will be super fun. 730 is their start time. The 22nd through the 24th, only one matinee on the 25th at two o'clock. Okay. And then again, the next weekend, the 28th through October 1st, tickets are $12 for everything but opening night, which is 20, at fslt.org. So that's Rogers, that's Fort Smith, both ends of the area. I'm guessing you're taking us in the middle. Okay. (laughs) I got the middle. Coming to the Walton Arts Center, Pretty Woman the Musical. Which I'm curious about this. I'm curious to see how they're going to turn that into a musical. Here's the interesting thing. We got, I never get to say this, we got an exclusive interview Hmm. with Gary Marshall's widow and his daughter, Oh, wow. Because Gary Marshall was the director of the film and was the person who pushed to turn Pretty Woman into a musical. Okay. He was also one of the creative minds behind The Lucy Show and The Dick Van Dyke Show in the 60s. Right, right. And Barbara Marshall said everything that happened at their house ended up on TV. (laughs) Including the episode where Laura Petrie got her big toe stuck in the bathtub faucet. (laughs) (laughs) And that actually happened to Gary Marshall's wife. I love this because my very first TV memory is an episode of the Dick Van Dyke show with aliens who had eyes in the back of their heads, (laughs) which explains so much about me, if you know me. Well, well. 
So it was a really entertaining conversation, and you can read all about it in the Sunday paper Mm -hmm. in What's Up. The male lead in the touring production, which just started its tour in Tulsa a few weeks ago, is somebody I'd really like to see. Adam Pascal, who played Roger in the original production of Rent. Oh, wow. Okay. So he is Edward. A new up-and-coming actress named Olivia Valley is Vivian. And Kathleen and Barbara Marshall both said that in the musical, that Vivian gets more agency and makes more decisions about her future than she does in the movie. Okay. So I think that's interesting. September 20th through September 25th at the Walton Arts Center. Tickets start at $51 at waltonartcenter.org. If that's not enough, you can read What's Up on Sunday and find out more because there's this thing coming in Bentonville. Yeah, I've heard something about this. That thing called the Format Festival. Yeah, it gets underway in about six days starting. It's supposed to be huge. Yeah. Here's the snippet that tells you how big it is. Nick Cave, the artist who shows his sound suits at Crystal Bridges, Mm -hmm. has made 14. Oh, wow. 14 new ones for the festival, and people will be walking around in them interacting with festival goers. I think more exciting to me than the music of format might be the people watching of format. Oh, yeah. It's going to be spectacular. Yes. And April Wallace and Monica Hooper have a big story about it Sunday in What's Up, so you can find out everything that's going on and all the bands and... More about Nick Cave sound suits, and it's going to be a big deal. Excellent. Well, Becca, thank you so much for stopping by. It was fun cheating with you. I love cheating with you on Kyle. It's great. (laughs) Becca Martin-Brown is the features editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore, and joining me via Zoom is Courtney Lannon. Courtney, hello. How are you today? Matthew, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I am excited because this film that you are bringing us today, uh, you have described as Mean Girls, but for Gen Z. And as a millennial who loved Mean Girls, I am excited to hear your thoughts on this film. Yeah, when you uh, watch the trailer for this movie, which is called Do Revenge, um, which will have familiar faces if you are also fans of Stranger Things and Riverdale, um, it does very much give you a feel like it's uh, Mean Girls for Gen Z. Zoomers get their own version of uh, Lindsay Lohan's cult classic. I love that. That's and, And very apropos, right? Absolutely. I feel like every generation should have their own version of this this movie. And and this one feels pretty unique as far as like it's it doesn't just rehash what Mean Girls already did. Right. So what sets this apart, in your opinion, when you look at this compared to, you know, say, uh, Mean Girls? Well, you know, I'd say Do Revenge is even darker than Mean Girls. And it really pushes closer to Fatal Attractions vibes, which ironically they mention in the trailer. If you watch it, um, they talk about how their plan to get revenge on their bullies, the main characters, is very much Fatal Attractions vibes. Um, it's got some amazing twists in the story. During the final third that kept me on my seat, 
the edge of my seat. I had no idea where it was going to go or what was going to happen next. I remember looking over at my wife and being like, I, I literally can't predict what's going to happen next. Yeah, and that that doesn't always when when we think of this genre of movie that doesn't always feel like that's the case, right? That you know it's some of these you know uh, you know teenage vibes, rom com kind of feels like you. It's it's a little tropish, but it's exciting that a movie like Do Revenge doesn't fit that trope uh, quite as tightly as we may have expected, right? No, absolutely. In fact. When you're watching the final third of this film and you see the twists as they come, you might almost be reminded of something closer to Gone Girl. And you're like, I definitely didn't expect that in my Mean Girls 2.0, but I'm happy it's there. Yes. So so we've got uh, Shades of Gone Girl. We've got Shades of Fatal Attractions. Um, you know, uh, why do you think the this film does such work to pay homage to such cult classics like these films? Well, you know, I think the, the creators were very mindful of the ground that had been laid before them when they were making this movie. Uh, the, the movie itself, if you go read the synopsis online, it says the movie is actually based on Alfred Hitchcock, Alfred Hitchcock's Strangers on a Train, tongue-tied today. Um, so it, it's definitely looking at the past, seeing what was popular with these sort of revenge high school films, and it runs with it. You know, do revenge, uh, ultimately, it's fun. It's very colorful, it's dark, um, and it's very funny. I, at the end of the year, when I'm, or I guess at the beginning of next year, when I am making my list of the top 10 films of 2022, uh, right now, I think this has a spot on it. Yeah, talk a little bit about the kind of the juxtaposition of, you know, the matter of the film being a little bit dark, but the coloring and, you know, graphically, it's it's very colorful and bright. Can you talk a little bit about the juxtaposition of those two ideas? Absolutely. So the film is set at this private school in California, which is attended mostly by very rich, posh families. And the school uniforms and outfits that they wear are all colored in pastel. And you'll see it all throughout the movie. Um, just pastel colors work in just about every theme, every shot, every outfit in some way. And so it's bright and colorful. And the fact that it involves a bunch of high school kids uh, makes it feel all the more energetic and bouncy. But you have this dark material. These, these two main characters have been wronged by their bullies in just really awful ways um, with like an explicit video being released and just ruining their lives. It's, it's pretty dark. The source material is. So it's, it's interesting how those two come together with, you know, you're looking at a very bright movie, but you're also thematically story-wise, you're looking at a very dark movie and, and the two mix together really well. Yeah, this is scheduled to come out today, Friday, September 16th on Netflix. Courtney, what are you going to have for us next week? Next week, I will have a review of a new anime film coming out called Mobile Suit Gundam, Kukuru's Dones Island. And Gundam, for those of you who are anime fans, is, is a very long-running series that's been around since the late 70s. That's fantastic. You can read Courtney Lanning's reviews in the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Courtney, thanks so much for joining us today. Matthew, thanks for having me. It is Friday, September 16th, 2022, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Timothy Dennis. I'm Matthew Moore. Joining us in the Herald and Blanche Kalk News Studio is KUAF's underwriting director, Ryan Versey. 
How's it going, guys? I'm happy to be here again. What Doing up? good. Two giveaways in a week. It's always fun giving stuff away to people. Yeah. Always. Making people's day. Yeah, I'm sure people are getting a really big kick out of hearing their name uh, announced in a giveaway for something awesome like this. So, yeah, yeah, I'm definitely happy to do it. Ryan, Ryan, I think what we're working on here is actually building a Pavlovian response for folks. When they hear us say, KUAF's underwriting director Ryan Versi is with us, they immediately get excited. Their ears they know, they know yeah. you're, giving, you're giving us stuff. <laughs> Love it. Let's so, what, it. Are, what are we giving away today? So, we have two VIP passes for the Format Festival. Okay. So, um, Format Festival, if you don't know, is from September 23rd through the 25th in Bentonville. Mm -hmm. And we've been doing a giveaway, and we've got a winner today. Okay, whose day are we going to make today? All right, so today we are making Jared Pebworth's day. Jared Pebworth, you are the winner. All right, Jared, you have two VIP passes to Format Festival next week. All three days. All three days, and we will be in touch with you on how to get your tickets. That's correct. Uh, Make sure you are checking the email you sent in the giveaway form and we'll get in touch all right so do we have any other giveaways coming up in the near future i believe so matthew you were just telling me about something else what's that yeah so uh we're going to be giving away uh general admission tickets for format fest next week as well yes um make sure to fill out the form get that done we want to help you go see Herbie Hancock. Yeah, or Thundercat. Or I'm, yeah, I'm excited about Thundercat. Phoenix. Yeah. Or I mean, on drugs. <laughs> or even some of the local bands like Honey Collective. Yes. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Robert Glasper. Oh, yes. yeah. Yeah. Make sure you're checking KUAF.com. We have a giveaway page. I don't want you to miss out on me potentially calling your name in the future. So KUAF.com. Check for the giveaways. All right. Ryan Versi is KUAF's underwriting director. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Support for KUAF comes from the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal, now featuring medical marijuana, county sales and use of tax collections, plus local business news from Northwest Arkansas. Subscriptions and information at 725-0394 or nwabusinessjournal.com. The Hillberry Harvest Moon Music and Camping Festival is September 28th through October 2nd at The Farm in Eureka Springs. And KUAF is giving you the chance to win tickets. Hillberry welcomes local and national touring acts, plus artists and art installations, food vendors, and more. Registration and additional information available at KUAF.com. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Timothy Dennis. It's been a few weeks since this year's Fayetteville Roots Festival. This year, we return to our custom of having a live broadcast of Ozarks at Large to help kick off the festival. One of their performers during that live show was Trey Wellington. Although there was only enough time for him to perform two songs during our live broadcast, he and his band performed a full set of nearly an hour at Fable Public Library's Event Center stage. Here are some highlights from that set.
doing out there Fayetteville we are so happy to be here this has been an awesome experience thus far we got to play on the radio this morning which was super fun and now we're getting to play this really fun show in this really really beautiful room this is awesome um, this is one of the nicest rooms um, 
I've ever played in because it's just it's so cool. It's so state of the art. It's just really cool to see how everything's put together. But um, those last two that we did, the first one was Crooked Mind off my new album, Black Banjo. And that last one was one that me and Josiah wrote for my capstone. It was sung by Nick called Day Like This. And right now I want to introduce back here on the bass before we start this next one. This is Caitlin Lowe. Give it up for her. Kaylin's an awesome bass player. I met her while we were both students at the East Tennessee um, State University Bluegrass Old Time and Country Music Studies program, and she's been one of my favorite bass players ever since I first heard her play. So one more time, give it up for Kaylin Lowe. She's going to kick off this next one. Thank you. 
Tell stories I heard once upon a time I don't know what to believe Or did I do a crime Or was I just in the wrong place A mind of my own It's kinda hard when the bones work You rely on Trey Wellington and his band performing from Fayetteville Public Library's Event Center stage during this year's Fayetteville Roots Festival. You can find out more about Trey and his music at TreyWellington.com. That's T-R-A-Y-Wellington.com. This is 91.3 FM, KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Patrick. Contributors today included Michael Tilley, Jacqueline Froelich, Becca Martin-Brown, and Courtney Lanning. Ryan Versi is KUAF's underwriting director. Thanks to Chris Moody, Cody Nielsen, and the staff of Fayetteville Public Library, and to the Fayetteville Roots Festival for partnering with us and for recording Trey Wellington's performance for us. Join us for a weekend edition of the show, Sunday at 9 a.m., and we'll be back with our daily edition of Ozarks at Large, Monday at noon at 7 p.m. Until then, be safe and be well.